I still find my breath seizing up on me whenever we're about to do this. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Just, Just like the same like sort of... Like shortness of breath, a little mini, 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 mini panic attack thing okay. that I get where... Like you're about to give a presentation or something. Oh. oh. I can't get a full breath of air. I need to yawn. You do your diaphragm exercises. <sighs> you have to relax. <sighs> okay. Panchanamalana. So the theme for the day today is Beth is nice. Beth is nice. There you go. It's a wonderful theme. Beth is nice because on Friday I was in the pipe and I had some time in between meetings. Mm -hmm. So I stopped into this little home furnishings, home decor shop that had a lot of things in it. Well, the first, the first thing that caught my eye, I would try to find a lavender throw pillow for the couch, for the Matt and Erica couch. And uh, there was a big lavender, one of those little kitties where its little arm goes up and down like that. Yep. I'm like, oh, that would be so great for the living room. So it drew me in. And I'm like, how much for the little kitty in the window? 75 euros. No, thanks. But they had all these other beautiful pillows and I got some candlesticks. So I was making my purchases and I said to the man, does anybody ever... I, no, I said, aren't you ever curious what all these things look like in people's homes? He said, yeah, but nobody ever shows me. And I <laughs> okay. said, well, I'll take a picture of my house because my house basically looks like your entire shop. Nice. And I'll show you what I've done with the, my purchases, which he thought was really nice. So I'm nice. That's really sweet. No, I mm-hmm. think that, uh, yeah, it would be cool. If and then the next experience, the next that. meeting that I had a- after my time was killed was with a restaurant that we're working with and the chef came out and he was really harried and busy and like all chefs are, he had five minutes for me and we sat down outside and he was, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, he was ripe. It can't happen. Even outside. And then I got to thinking about that master, it's not that master, I don't think it's, it's not master chef, but it's the other one where they present their dishes in front of that panel of judges Okay. And then the judges write the dishes. Oh, like the uh, banquet. Uh, yeah, the banquet one with Prue the, and yeah, yeah, the lady yeah. that um, wears her well, glasses on the top now. of her head. And Prue uh, jumps Prue's ship. gone. Yeah. Anyway, you know how sometimes in the culinary experience they will like, sure. you know, mist some... Yeah. Sea water spray yeah. over the oysters to give them the full ambiance. Yeah. And I'm like, man, in real life, this guy is just, you just wonder if there's like a little bit of a whiff of the chef himself right. in everyday restaurant dining experiences. That, People uh, say they pour themselves. <laughs> I just into thought if it was like, so. you know, real yeah. life master chef, that the guy would just be like fanning his underarms on right. top of your coat de boeuf or whatever to give it that little sense of authenticity. Well, they talk about how personal, you know, cooking experiences for them. You know, they pour themselves in their food, etc. And also, if we trust our chefs, you know, like he's actually tasting uh, in an environment uh, of his armpit whiff. So if we're actually going to experience the same thing, yeah, we should probably have that. So, yeah, you can imagine them in that, you know, Grant Ashats or Heston Blumenthal type uh tradition of you know he comes to the table and he has like the little fans you know as he raises his arms just blowing the the waft in your direction as you imbibe and experience that rich umami and let me tell you that kitchen was small so yep luckily we were outside uh back to the subject of acronyms or alphabetism. Yesterday was yesterday. Yesterday was the gay pride parade in Amsterdam. It's been raining for three weeks solid. It's raining now. But luckily, while it wasn't sunny like it was last year when we were actually on a boat, which was so awesome, the rain held off long enough to get through the parade. Then it rained a little bit 
Yeah, it was intermittent it throughout was intermittent. the day. Yeah. yeah, not like this Noah-esque downpour. Back to my problem with acronyms. Or so people need to understand my my major mental blocks are one acronyms and two birth dates. So a few of people in our inner circle know I've missed your birthday twice. Um, I haven't done it done it in a while, but usually it'll be the day before or two days before <clears throat> when my mom will be like, "What are you doing for Michael's birthday?" I'm like, oh right. shit. So <clears throat> I haven't missed it because other people who love you are asking. And then I suddenly remember that the 30th is coming up. I know your birthday. Although I do have to think through, is it the 30th or the 31st? Or does May even have a 31st? I don't right. know. I know my mom's birthday. I know my birthday. <laughs> um, <laughs> yours. And I think that's it yeah well yeah your mom's uh and your i know are on our friend arian's birthday because he's born on the 4th of july and i know my friend barb chang's birthday because she's born on the 5th of july but close friends of mine i've known my entire life yvonna no idea i th i think her birthday's in september but i know that's wrong i think it's more in the summer Michelle Auger Hagenberg, who's been my friend since I was 15. I think her birthday is May 10, 9, something. I just, I have a genuine block and people will be like, keep a calendar, write it down. I'm like, I, I, I you know, it won't help me memorize people's birthdays. No, Which but if you see the do? calendar reminder coming up, you know, if you have that. Yeah, but then you have to do it time. every year, renew the calendar, and then the calendar gets thrown away and who's got time for that? Well, if you do the Outlook, yeah, and it just Facebook was helping me video. out for a while. Sure, Facebook helps everything. Mm. Uh, so, so there's a couple of things. So uh, your mom's and your birthday mm -hmm. are on uh, famous or easily. Well, I didn't know my birthday dates. was on a famous Dutch holiday until we moved here. Exactly. Yes, and and um, are birthdays important to the Dutch in general? Would you say? N well, everybody knows about the famous Dutch birthday parties. Well, I should say it's, infamous. It's the flip where everyone of, sits around in a circle, yeah. eats cake, doesn't talk to each other, and is looking at their watches, desperate to leave. It's the weirdest thing. And in an office setting, if it's your birthday, you have to bring in the cake. Well, I was going to say the the cake or treats are typically prepared by uh, the birthday person it is absolutely obligatory to sit around in a yeah. circle i think it's because i think i'm guessing it comes back to that who the hell do you think you are mentality like why should you feel special on your birthday everybody has a birthday so why should all the attention be on you which i have to say i i understand like adults who are crazy about their birthday and it's, it's really weird. important to them. It's they get really upset weird. it is a little it's weird. mostly women i've discovered yeah, I think that we had a friend yeah, in our past yeah. who was neurotically obsessed about her birthday and would get really upset if she didn't think she would worry that people weren't doing anything for her birthday. Yep. And she's, you know, 34 years old. I mean, I suppose in a way it is uh, an achievement. If anything, we should maybe start celebrating them like 60s and beyond. It's like, yeah. holy shit, I made it again. You know, we're the extreme opposite of most people, though. We just don't care as as we all know and we being you and me i have a curse on my birthdays when i'm turning over a decade so my 20th 30th 40th and birthdays were horrible horrible days for me yeah. so i definitely don't celebrate my you know turning over a new decade birthday so my 50th yeah. i just wanted to ride it out so didn't I, what did I do? I just didn't, I never do. So I don't celebrate my birthday. I prefer to call it my day off. Yeah. And I usually just go off by myself or run down to Paris. Um, well, I think we just got Thai food uh, that day. Yeah. And that's when I got that parking space. That was, <gasps> so right. it was actually a birthday gift for me. Yeah. Way, yeah. Just, yeah. But anniversaries, birthdays, Valentine's Day, we just don't really, we cannot be arsed. 
we just can't be. Sometimes we just can't make do the it, effort. But it's it's hard to yeah. It, we don't seem to do it every year. You know, the same way with Christmas. We don't go nuts with Christmas all the time. No. Uh, it it happens especially now because time passes so differently in your fifties than it does in your twenties. Um, physicists might disagree, but uh, it, I would be fine with Christmas like every other year, for example. Yeah, Thanksgiving that kind of stuff. So you could stagger. Wow, Thanksgiving! Could, uh, I don't. You get upset well, if we don't do Thanksgiving. You get it's really sweet. Well, no, I'm just, just saying, but it could be spaced out a bit because it just seems to creep up. Like, yeah, right. It creeps up it, because, it you know, it's not like it happens on the same day every year. Well, actually, it doesn't. That's one of the fucking problems. It, so all that shit, by the way, needs to be there's no Thanksgiving, Easter. It's like, oh, it's the, you know, uh, eighth Wednesday of every third month. It's like, no, 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 no. Fixed date. Yeah. But you do get you do get so, sort of adorably forlorn if, you know, there will be no turkey and Mashed potatoes and gravy this year because we got too <laughs> yeah. busy. Yeah. yeah. Michael, well, if you do no, that no, one more time, I'm canceling this podcast. Woo-hoo. Um, Michael, no. you did it again. <laughs> no, I didn't. You just did a South Park reference and then you did a freaking Simpsons reference. Why, why can't you? And you, you s- worse than that? You call why can't you stop it? doing that? We all are the composites of our experiences. The rules right? for this so, podcast are no pop culture references and you can't There's stop no doing it. There's no such thing as pop culture. It's just, if it's something that we're aware of, it's something that's in our brains, that's how we're processing information. Well, don't process information like that on my podcast. You have to, based on past experiences. No, you do not. Make the effort. I am making an effort. That is what I am. Acronyms. And so, alphabetisms. Yep. This is how bad it is for me. If somebody says, what country are you from? I always say the States. Because if I were to say the USA, which nobody says, except for it's really cute when foreign people say, oh, are you from USA? You know, Um, but I have to think you United S States, a America. I have this block around acronyms. So getting back to Pride Parade yesterday, I was... um, I am panicked for the day that will come when I am going to be expected, and I'm reading this right now, to be able to roll off from the tip of my tongue LGBTQIA+. Because if I hesitate for one second when I have to think that through, I'm going to be, I'm going to, like, I think I'm, I'm going to be canceled by the woke brigade. brigade. Yep. Can I am never going to be able to remember it's almost as long as the whole alphabet now it's just been the letters have just been rearranged but it stands for i had to look this up but i'm reading this (laughs) lesbian gay bisexual transgender queer questioning Mm -hmm. intersex asexual and the plus holds the space for the expanding and new understanding of different parts of the very diverse gender and sexual identities Mm -hmm. um this comes from the LGBTQIA plus Gender and Sexuality Resource Center from Princeton University. Right, which has an auspicious tradition. Thousands of years uh, worth of research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody, I, I, I'm, I'm doing this now to bear witness and to put a timestamp on this condition I have where I am Thoroughly fucked if anybody expects me to just be able to roll that off as if I say it, you know, 10 times an hour for the last 20 years of my life. Oh, this is interesting. They may be regionally specific, i.e. within Mm -hmm. the Canadian government, they use the acronym LGBTQ2 with the two standing for two spirit. Two spirit is the term by some indigenous (laughs) communities to represent gender and sexual diversity often regarded throughout the tribal history as different figures within the community. Yeah, except it doesn't Well, the Canadians really. treated indigenous people just about as well as um, New World people did as we slaughtered them, you know, cl- clearing the land of indigenous people moving west. So I'm glad that they're sensitive about that now. 
very sensitive about. Mm. Are there other identities that aren't represented by the acronym? Yes. Of course there are. There are many ways that people can identify and are vital to the community. Sure, but you just Identities like pansexual, agender, demisexual, and many others can and do represent members of the broader gender and sexually diverse communities. Um, Please use our split attraction model guide for understanding how attraction can be identified as romantic and or sexual. Oh, there's a guide posted by the Texas Text LGBTQIA offices and created by staff at the University of California. The guide has many. That surprises me. Why don't we just call it a free for all? And I'm fine. You know, just say free for all. Everything, everything goes. And by the way, I'm fine with that. I just don't want to be. Um, judged if I don't understand that you're questioning pansexual, two-spirit, quasi-sexual, amorphous, polyamorous. Yep. They friend. This is, hello, I'd like to introduce you to my they friend. Well, Michael Massa, who identifies know. as an amoeba. I mean, I'm no. sounding like a cynical person and I'm not. All I'm saying is that no one I'm never, ever going to be able to 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 respond, to be able to roll off this ever growing acronym. Um, and, and nor should you have to. Well, but also the, you're on dangerous ground that you can't infer pronouns just based on initials. That's still an individual uh, choice. I know. So, I... Um, no, it's, of course, um, utterly ridiculous. Uh, and it's it's just a you know um, sort of self obsessed uh, byproduct. Here's, Nobody gives so a Michael, shit you tend to who, think that most things in the world are utter, utterly ridiculous, stupid, nonsensical. So let's just assume as a default that everything we talk about you think is stupid, nonsensical, pointless, well, ill conceived. You know, let's just start that out as the baseline. Um, I'm- <laughs> I mean, again, I forgot what I was going to say. I don't think that's true, by the way. Uh, but uh, if things aren't especially well conceived, then, then yeah, I, I will tend to comment on that. Um, I'm not interested in making anyone feel bad about themselves. I'm also not interested in making anyone feel good about themselves just by nature of their existence. There has been a sloppy use uh, in language and application in the past how many years. Uh, There's a gulf between lack of shame and pride. The idea that one should be proud of being gay is utterly ludicrous. Uh, You can be not ashamed of being gay. So if they called it the not shame parade, I would be much more in, in favor of it shouldn't be pride uh i'm not proud that i'm a man or that i have five fingers it's just part of who i am yeah but you've I'm never been judged or abused or murdered for being a man and having five fingers that's the whole point of it it's a reaction to people telling you you should be ashamed you're disgusting no i'm proud of who i am no well but you shouldn't be proud if it's simply if it is you know just a a, a product of your existence and you can't be proud of that okay fine then one, you could turn it around and say well no you should be ashamed of judging me no not no you can be not ashamed so people shouldn't be ashamed of being gay they can't be proud of being right. gay. i understand what they you're saying like proud. you're saying like you have no right to like nationalism is ridiculous you have no right to be proud of something you you didn't earn or achieve or do you can't be proud of being in america because you didn't control over the piece of this earth that you were born on well, but i could finish that thought but, that but the, I'm the concept that of pride is a reaction to people saying you should be ashamed of who you are Now, I get what you're saying. You think nobody should be proud of something they didn't have anything to do with. I get that. But this is but that word pride has been co-opted as a response to people who are telling gay people they should be ashamed. Yes. And it's a misuse of language because it's not really what they mean, I don't think. Or if it is what they mean, that's even more problematic. But also I will take issue. language is constantly evolving. There's no such thing as misuse of language. Well, there is. Of course, there's prescript or (laughs) there's. Yeah, it, it, we don't want to get into prescriptive descriptive, but certainly one is no, more important. Definitely than, don't. Than, but uh, I will take uh, issue a bit with the idea that someone shouldn't be quote proud of being an American. Um, 
when one chooses uh, to, you know, remain, to, to reside in a particular country because they believe that it's whatever is at the core of the ethics uh, of the, the nation, um, if they do align with those things uh, and they choose to remain a citizen of that country, then, then there can be pride. But that's not, you know, anyone who is of age and has not, you know, emigrated uh, to if, yes, if you're born in the United States, you have no control of that. If you do not emigrate um, when you're, you know, an adult, then I would say that, yeah, you actually can have pride there because that, that's not inherent to your existence. Fine. Then somebody could say, well, I'm, I'm a gay person. I'm part of the gay community. I am proud of what the gay community has achieved as a community. How about that? You can be proud of if you're, you know, engaging in this uh, behavior or this activity or raising awareness. You can do that, but you can't be proud of being gay. You can be proud of, hey, you know, um, I tell everyone that I, I like to have sex uh, with uh, people of my same gender or sex or Men whatever. Men of my gender, it is, see, right? they're yeah, just in exactly, it. Exactly, so. yeah. Oh, yeah, you should be banned. Um, but, uh, but again, that's not who they are. That's what they're doing. So you can be proud of accomplishments and behaviors. You can't be proud of just the nature of your existence. All right. Well, you heard it here first, gay people. Michael Massa says you're not allowed to be proud of who you are, proud of being gay because of uh, grammatical grammar and syntax. So there you go. Uh, Yeah. Well, all I'm saying is I I, I thought it through more than other people. It's all. It's fine. Um, Again, don't feel bad. You you can have the lack of shame parade. Fine. Totally behind that. Uh, But also, by the way, the other big thing is I don't appreciate the, the six colors. I don't know why indigo has been discriminated against. There's only six bands in that flag, and there are seven, you know, colors uh, in in the. Your spectrum. sarcasm is no tiring. No, that's it. the I uh, in the LGBTQI should be for indigo, but in fact they're actively discriminated against indigo. All I right, mean, you, I heard, think you it's heard it here first, gay out. community. Michael Massa is accusing you of discriminating against the color indigo. I'm not just indicting the gay community, also the lesbian and bisexual trans. So can you do the rest? Queer. What's T stand Intersex. for? Intersex. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> don't get me started on T because what T should mean, and you know, quote should. So yes, you can have cis and trans, you know, cis alpine gall, trans alpine gall, on one side of the mountain, on one side of the divide, on the other side of the divide, fine. But I suspect in common parlance, what a lot of people mean by saying trans is I am transitioning, which of course is an entirely separate idea. Transsexuals or transgenders do not need to transition. So the idea of, you know, but anyway, that's just, I've just um, picked that up by the way I hear people use trans frequently. Uh, but yes, the, then the uh, intersex and asex. And the other thing that's uh, a bit irritating is that uh, I think there's a lot of misrepresentation. A compulsion to justify how one wants to live their life nowadays, which in my view, nobody needs to justify but what is often done in that movement is to cherry pick from uh, history and to actually misrepresent what the idea of gender or sex or sexuality has been throughout time. So when people say, that, oh, well, you know, these particular godheads or these entities, they're both male and female. But <laughs> the point of most of those examples is that they're not applied to humans. They're about something else. They're about other world and, or, you know, divine or semi-divine entities. It's not applicable to humankind at all. Humankind throughout history has always chosen, you know, essentially two bathrooms. Now, there has always been, which team do you play for? 
which is different than what your plumbing is, that's fine. But everyone has plumbing. And yes, there are some people who have, you know, more than two sex chromosomes. Uh, but again, we, we know that in genetics. We've studied these things. I am far, far more resistant, uncomfortable with the idea of somebody that was biologically born with the male digestive and intestinal system coming into my bathroom <laughs> than somebody coming into my bathroom yeah. with a penis because I know I've heard stories about what happens in men's bathrooms. You don't mean when somebody gym. has to have yeah. a poo. Oh, I really don't want that coming into the women's bathroom. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. When we get into uh, the public restroom debates, men should not be allowed to shit in public at all. I mean, what men do to their digestive systems and then to the sewer systems. It's, it's, I mean, these are definitely human rights violations. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, and yeah, I, I think you're right to probably not let uh, men use uh, the home bathroom. But that's a good idea in general. Oh, I bet that was honestly like that. That's my biggest thing. I just, what, I just don't want that just decimating. Yeah, the woman's bathroom. Yeah, no, uh, men should be the horrors of the general, typical yeah. human male digestive yeah. tract, especially you know more old world uh, European uh, plumbing, you know that that sort of or thing. or old world really... European diets. There's that also, yeah, yeah, and also the digestive systems change a bit. Um, I never understood like why my uh, fat grandfather's uh, shit smelled a particular way. Um, but, you know, now being like a fat older gentleman, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, no, I, I get what that is. Oh. But, yeah, no, but as a kid. And also people talk about, like, you know, kids, but uh, people talk about, like, baby shit. It's like, oh, clean diapers isn't that bad, you know. Mm -hmm. Babies, it's like, they're hardly even processing it, and it's just, you know, kind of weird. It's this, you know, whatever, green or you know, kind of mucky, weird paste. But it's not like, uh, you know, a 50-year-old... Uh, meat-eating man's turds. It's very different what ends up in a baby's diaper, I think. We I, live on a yeah. houseboat. Yeah. And sometimes I'll walk into the bathroom as much as an hour after you've been there. And I think, did a giant, is there a giant floating dead carp floating outside of our house? This horrible, Which decaying, does happen sometimes. Yeah. dead floating fish, carp awful and it yeah. no it came out of your butt and the weird thing butt. about yeah. that is that we 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 usually kind of have the same dinner um i don't know yeah i don't know but it's um it's not good um yeah well i mean people shit it's i saw it's a children's book everyone shits um The amount of money that I spend on personal care. Mm -hmm. Let's say, uh, I let's say I am maybe going on a week long business trip or a wedding or something where <laughs> I just want to look my absolute best. Uh, I'll kind of do a full body makeover. I'm not one to keep my nails constantly nice so I maybe will get a manicure and a pedicure a couple times a year but if I'm doing the full overhaul I spend about 300 euros on my hair like I walk out of the salon having spent about 300 euros for cut and color foil and foil color cut mm -hmm. and mani pedi costs about 100 bucks you're going to get your eyelashes and eyebrows touched up. That's about a hundred euros. Get a Botox refresh, maybe some little fillers. Yep. About 300 euros. And if I'm going to, you know, maybe bite my teeth up a little bit, about 50 bucks. Wow. You wash your hair with bar soap. I don't so do it as much anymore, but yeah, now and again. Yeah. 
of how much I spend on myself versus how much you spend on yourself and your personal care, I makes me and I, I don't feel bad about it because because you could be spending more. Oh, I see. By what you're saying, just in terms of kind of resource, so I don't feel bad about consumption. it. Consumption, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I could see that. Uh, and I suppose we should be looking at all the stuff in the aggregate. You know, is it okay for uh, some people to whatever, quote, overspend or quote, underspend if it all kind of works out in the end? Um, maybe. But I, I do think that a lot of those products, uh, and I think they are mostly uh, geared toward the ladies, uh, some of that stuff is, is just ridiculous. Um, you know, it's immoral that it even goes on the market, uh, and it's immoral that people are buying it too, you know, just because of the, you know, the, I'm talking about the whole like cosmeceutical industry and, you know, all the carefully developed and it's really just all like milk and Vaseline or, or something. Or, and it's just, well, it's ludicrous. not milk and Vaseline. Well, it's some of I it know that you is. put milk and Vaseline on your face. No, not intentionally. You, no, you, you know, you your made skin that... is so chapped that your cheeks are bleeding. Well, no, you made me some what I thought was cream, but I think it was soap. It was just, I was rubbing vigorously, <laughs> no, but it you wouldn't tr- disappear. You didn't, you didn't, you got confused and you were rubbing toothpaste on your face. It wasn't it, it, was. it was, you thought it was. Else. It was German and you thought it was cre- like moisturizing cream and it was toothpaste. It was some sort of soap thing, face. but it was just frothing instead of being absorbed. No, no, it was, it was bad. This is it? all because you or maybe your, you were trying to wash your face with toothpaste because you thought it was soap or something this is because of all your home whatever concoctions, it was it was very funny your castile soap well, I and got all into these that things for a while because which is uh, great i started to think we care so much about what goes into our bodies we don't give a thought about what goes onto our bodies yeah. and i and i so i invested some money into the fundamentals of skincare so the carrier oils uh, beeswax, um, clay scrubs, and I can make my own beauty treatments. Yes, which is very cool. Yeah, yeah. But I also, I also buy stuff. That's another and thing not too. Just, oh god. So I probably spend <laughs> maybe five hundred euros every couple of years on skinceuticals, retinols, vitamin C acids. Yeah, I'm, that but are not also, cosmetic, but they're curative or preventative. But you're also not just making those things that are, I think, are, you know, kind of paltrowy and horse shitty, but you are also making things like shampoo and soap. It's like, all right, I can get behind that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I do need some sort of soap. So if you, yeah. like, start with Castile soap and then make your own, it can be very... Which is, uh, which is fine. Efficient. I haven't I haven't made the Castile shampoo in a while, but I, I really like Kevin Murphy. I've tried all the shampoos and conditioners in Kevin Murphy for me. Yep is the best for me. I really love Kevin Murphy. There you go. I don't like his packaging particularly, but well, the problem with all shampoo and conditioner packaging is it's made for people who don't need glasses or, or, or are not farsighted. So I take a magic marker and on the lid, I draw a big S and a big C or I'll put the shampoos on one side of the tub and the conditioners on the other side of the tub because you can't you can't read it. And Indeed. often the bottles look identical. Why it's so dumb. We'll just use Pert Plus. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. Get all you need. Right there. One bottle. When do you think uh we started using conditioner? And when I say we, I mean the affluent West. I think probably when women stopped going to i don't know maybe like the 60s after people stopped going to get their hair done once a week at the like set at the beauty salon yeah i don't know i think we should might have to dig into so so i I like to look up archive stuff so like it was g your hair smells terrific was that also available in condition or was it just shampoo um you know is it coming about when sort of mousse uh late 70s early 80s Let's see. Um, did conditioner. Hair conditioner. Yeah. Br- Brilliantine was um, the first hair conditioner that more closely resembles the conditioners we use today was developed in 1900 by the perfume company Ed Pinot, although it was often sold under the name Club Man. 
Oh, so is this like a... It was a perfumed, colored, oily liquid that softened men's hair. Oh, giving it a glossy appearance and making it uh, far easier to style without the residue left over that Macassar oil had become known for. Okay, so with this, we're in the kind of Dapper Dan territory. Mm-hmm. It was first okay. showcased at the Exposition Universelle in Paris in 1900, and since then, a range of different developments have taken place to change the consistency and ingredients to help reduce the heavy feel common with earlier oil-based conditioners. In the modern age, there are several types of conditioners with different uses and applications and requirements, whilst most... Whilst? Whilst. I've heard whilst usually, yeah. Whilst most are applied for a short amount of time before being rinsed out, some hold hair in place, some needs to be left in, and others are deep conditioners designed to boost hair moisture. So it was originally made for men. Ew, though, just so... But also not really (laughs) the way we use it today because, you know, these guys, I'm presuming, were not washing their hair every day. So the idea that conditioner is part of a two-step, like, daily process. Although ladies tend not to wash their hair every day. Is that well, true? these days, yeah. I mean, I used to wash my hair every day. So, like, in the 80s, you're doing 80s, that. 80s, 90s. Okay. Yeah. Now but I, at some point, yeah. Well, it is true that the more you wash your hair and you're stripping your hair of the natu- natural oils, the more those oils rebound. So if you can get through that period. my After a shampoo, my hair is, is good for easily good for three days and i can get by with a fourth day if i use maybe some dry shampoo um yeah in terms of organic hair care products conditioners are one of the most important to you regular yeah shampoos help okay wait a minute um we all know what shampoo does however despite often being thought of as a modern addition to our hair styling routines conditioning our hair has a surprisingly long history. In fact, in Britain, conditioners are ac- actually predate the introduction of shampooing by sake. Oh, I think it says sake or sake. Yeah. Oh, you know who that is? I H- thought that was a typo for shake. H.H. H. Monroe? I don't know. It says oh. sake Dean Mohammed in oh, 1814. Oh, uh, okay, but again, I think they're sort of misleading there because I'm talking about conditioner as it's used in the modern day. It, you know, it's essentially sold as part of your. Okay. Hold, now, process. now this gets more interesting. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is going to segue nicely. Um, so Macassar oil, the dawn of conditioners, as we know them, begin with a highly no popular concoction known as Macassar oil, which was typically made with a mix of coconut oil and fragrant oils like Ling Ling. So this is something people put in their hair today. It was initially it was initially it was initially <laughs> developed by London barber Alexander Rowland in seventeen ninety three. At the time the standard procedure for barbers was for them to prepare their own concoctions to use on hair, and Mr. Rowland's specialty was the Macassar oil. The name here we go. The name came from the part of Macassar now in Indonesia. But at the time, part of the Dutch East Indies, where A. Roland and Sons aggressively advertised that the ingredients had come from initially as part of increasingly elaborate claims of its effectiveness. This made it one of the first products that received national advertising through mediums such as newspapers and postcards as national travel became increasingly accessible throughout the 19th century. We have to find see if we can find some of that advertising. So 1793, though. So people are still using wigs. Now, here's so, the gross part. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. It was a very effective way to style the hair, given that it was effectively rubbing oil into the scalp. However, it also had a major problem. Um, it also had the major problem. This, this, I'm having difficulty reading this because there's typos and missing words all over the place oh, in this um, article. It also had the major problem oil has of getting everywhere comma, which is not there, and leaving quite permanent stains on nearly everything it touches until it dries. So this was like 18th century jerry curl. Well, but also not for presenting to the public. Oh, God, it gets even worse. Because you're just going to be Wait, putting a wig on. over it. 
This led to the development of the anti-Makassar, a strip of cloth yeah. on the back of a chair that protects the fabric itself and is still sometimes seen today on public transport. Ew. Yeah, yeah. Okay. However, the anti-Makassar would start to disappear in interior design at the start of the 20th century, and the reason for that was that Makassar oil had been replaced with a far more effective, less messy solution. So that that is a coming to America joke, though, right? It is, yeah. yeah. And uh, okay, so then we also need to find out if Maxar is actually in Jerry Curl. But uh, okay, but this, I would imagine at the time, is almost being framed in terms of like health and well-being and healthcare, because this is something you're going to do in your home routine. When you go out in public, you're going to put on the wig anyway. So this isn't about having uh you know soft and lustrous hair for others to see i don't this know is like about this health, is seven this is 1793 so we're yeah. almost headed into the 19th century yeah so are you thinking about but you're thinking about well mid 17th century wool wigs i think or or well, mid mid 18th century i mean you're still going about you know, our, our founding fathers are waking it up. Yeah, that's true. And that's, you know. Um, but also, I don't know what the, the ladies are doing at this time. But this is still mostly about Yes, uh, it was fellas. mostly for men. Yeah. I just think it's funny that shampooing, cleaning, lye was still not something that was employed on a daily basis. So... It's like eradicating meat. Well, you've created right. a problem and now you need this like oil absorbing strip of fabric to deal with the problem that you created when just stop putting the oil in your hair, then you won't be ruining your furniture. Right. You don't right. need something right. extra. Yeah. I mean, we know that the lye and the uh, like pot ash or whatever, that's that's very good for skin, you know, so it is going to be a degreaser. It's going to clean your skin but we probably should be treating our hair differently but then that also kind of makes you wonder why we started growing our hair um as a means presumably of expression or status or or, or something um if we were to just shave our head oh, all the time God. then we wouldn't have to we could just treat it the same way we do our skin although i suppose scalp skin is very different than palm skin so yeah this is just, oh my God. Okay, so this comes from curlcentric.com. Sure. Why did people wear powdered wigs? Is wig powder still used? Want to take any guesses? Oh yeah, it's still used. No, but why did people wear powdered wigs? Why did people wear powdered wigs? Uh, because the Macs are uh, pads. His no. <laughs> Historians point to syphilis. As one of the main reasons wigs started to become popular, syphilis, a dangerous STI, began to spread in Europe in the late 1400s. Wait, what does the I stand for? Sexually transmitted. Infection? Well, they say infection. Yeah. They don't say disease anymore. Okay. No, well, no, no. I think the Brits say infection. Okay. All right. uh, yeah. By the late 16th century, the disease had reached epidemic levels in Europe and was incurable. One of the main symptoms of the disease is patchy hair loss. Oh, sure. so Europeans resorted to wigs to hide these patches caused by the illness. Again, oh. it's like, yeah, well. Headlight, why people used wig powder. Headlights oh, was a yeah. huge problem yeah. when it came to wearing wigs. And the only realistic solution for many was to stop wearing them. But most Europeans did not want to get rid of their wigs because they had patchy, disgusting scalps. Searched for a solution. The solution, of course, was powder. It was thought that adding powder to the wigs would improve the lice problem. It was also challenging to maintain wigs with their foul smell. So the powder was scented with roots and flowers to help mask the stench of the wigs. Originally called periwigs, powdered wigs grew in popularity in the mid-17th century when King Louis VIII started to go bald at age 17. Don't <laughs> As laugh. His father, Henry IV of France, wore wigs more often. Europeans yeah. began to copy the style. The same thing happens today when, the when a celebrity makes a certain fashion or lifestyle choice. 
Colonial America focused intensely on class distinction and clothing and wigs were the two major possessions that denoted class differences. Through the 18th century, men wore powdered wigs to display class status. They were often used to indicate wealth. So they went from hiding horrible, disgusting, awful diseases and parasites to becoming a status symbol. Well, because the wealthy still have syphilis. So, I mean... Oh. You know, in fact, for a while, powdered wigs were only worn by the upper class, but as decades passed, wigs became more common among other classes. Judges, military officers, and others who worked in the legal profession typically wore white wigs. Men in the trade profession wore brown wigs, and men with professional occupations of higher status typically wore gray wigs. Powdered wigs eventually grew a strong association with royalty in France, which became so in other countries soon after. Men wore powdered wigs for sophistication, um, wigs for different occasions, military wigs. Um, British soldiers soldiers would tie their hair by using beef tallow or fat from other animals to grease their hair. You know who else did that was Kim De- was Kim Deal. She was known to rub shaved ham grease ham on her scalp before <laughs> going out on stage to look you know, rocker and cool. Sure. The grease helped them style their pigtails and made it easier to tie their hair back um, and make it appear shorter. Wigs were not just for men. Even though pictures of these powdered wigs were more often seen in men's fashion, women wore wigs by the late 18th century. Some of the reasons men wore these wigs also apply to women, especially when covering up evidence of syphilis. Hair powder was trendy because it enabled women to add blue or violet shades to their wigs. Women's wigs also included hair pieces and other accessories like jewelry, stones, and flowers, which ultimately made their wigs very heavy. Hmm. When did powdered wigs go out of fashion? Wigs started to go out of fashion in the late 18th century. A few reasons are a financial barrier. A tax on hair powder was introduced in 1795 by William Pitt the Younger to fund the Napoleonic Wars with France. As a result of this tax, wigs became more expensive and fewer fewer people were interested in buying them, causing the wig fashion trend to decline over time. Wigs were uncomfortable. Short natural hair became more highly desired for men in Europe and other parts of the world. Wigs were very hot, heavy, high maintenance, in addition to being smelly and sure. awful. So soldiers eventually decided to forego the style and sport simpler, more natural styles and a disdain for the British. Also, wigs were closely linked to Britain's monarchy, causing colonial men to wear their hair naturally and to distance themselves from anything remotely similar to the British. Um, so let's see how wig wearing wigs has changed over time. Uh, even though full wigs in the 19th and 20th centuries were not fashionable, British judges and barristers continued to wear them until the early 2000s. Uh, women's wigs, however, developed differently in the 1800s. A hairpiece known as a pastiche became a staple in the average woman's hairstyle repertoire. Uh, derived from the French word meaning added hair, pastiches were ideal for women who were experiencing hair thinning or just wanted to make their hair look fuller. Weave. They're not exactly the same as a wig. Um, more like extensions. It wasn't until the 1950s that wigs became, came back in style and manufacturers began to use wig-making machines instead of making them by hand. Um, we don't see many powdered wigs today. Um, often they're used in theater and movies. Um, this is from what? Curly.com. This is from curlycentric.com. Curly Most notably, yeah. these hair pieces have become a way for people to express themselves or hide imperfections in their hair. It doesn't say anything in Extension. here about... Um, about the, not having the need for them anymore because we cured syphilis and, and we invented shampoo. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I think the syphilis thing is probably a bit over. Yeah, I, it's just one of those things where if wigs are probably going to, if you're going to be able to present yourself in a wig better than, than your natural hair, then yeah, that, that, that's going to take over. It's certainly uh, among anyone of, of status. Um, but Speaking I'm guessing of the wigs... masking of odors, yes, our producer Jack Kerouac has uh, just came into the studio. We should mention that his his um, litter box is under the steps here, yeah. and has well, let's just say it's very offensive in here. And oh, yes. I have these really wonderful yet highly flammable 
air purifiers where there's a wick that soaks up this scented oud alcohol basically and purifies the air within a few minutes i mean that must have been and it works really really well so maybe masking odors is was effective as opposed to just eliminating them in the first place and aside from license syphilis probably a healthier thing to do although we can't really say that because people weren't living very long in you know in europe in the 17th and 16th, 17th, and 18th, and 19th, and 20th, and 21st centuries. Masking, purifying, it's just, you know, we're not talking about things that are harmful to inhale, I think, for the most part. Uh, They might be unpleasant, uh, but, you know, if you're going to, whatever, the the Glade mentality is to mask the feces smell by uh, squirting rose all over the place, so... It, it kind of works, but it's not purifying the air. Um, yes, but the fact is, this whole entire trend came from the Dutch East Indies Company. Well, which is so ironic because the Dutch, even today, although I would say in the last five years, it's pretty recently, Dutch men have started to graduate away from tippity do galvanizing their hair in vats of 99 cent hair gel the cheapest heart most horrible hair gel no. or it's either so dutch the dutch have often dutch people have very curly hair yeah. it's a dutch thing and they have incredibly incredibly hard water it's delicious but it's hard, so it really dries out your hair. So instead of softening, again, it's like it's eradicating meat situation. Instead of solving the problem, which is you know buying a water softener, um, which eliminates the problem immediately, including dandruff that I think a lot of Dutch people have because they're not getting the residue out of their hair over the course of a lifetime, and it's causing dandruff. Well, they have the whole industry around anti. Calk products, yeah. So they uh, will pardon the phrase lock their locks into place by just dousing themselves with this cheap gel, and so they're all walking around with the wet look. You can like see their scalp because they've put so much gel in their curly hair. Fellas, most the fellas, yeah, Yeah. or their spikes. Yep, and it just looks so ridiculous. So I think it's funny that. Uh, this whole hair trend originated with the Dutch East oh, Indies exploiting, you know, Indonesian islands, and it, it didn't carry through. Like just like the culinary culture didn't carry through. The Dutch uh, are just now experiencing the culinary revolution that happened in Britain and the U.S. in the seventies and eighties, and they're just now getting rid of their hair gel. Well, it seems that they were more interested in Learning trading how to style the their hair. exotic spices the world rather than incorporating them into their That's own cuisine. That's very true. They were never yeah. going to use them. They lang lang themselves. They were going to sell it onto the Brits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're done. Audi. <laughs>